Find your Bible and uh, find in your Bible uh, Acts chapter 16. That's where we're going to put in today. Or if you know you're one of the electronics, then you go to your browser, find your Bible program, then click on Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The Apostle Paul, who wrote that to the Romans, was well into his ministry when he wrote that. And he'd witnessed over years the power of the gospel in his own ministry. I mean power, power. The kind of power that would encourage Paul to be out there to do things that people don't normally do or or what people just won't do because he was convinced of the power of the gospel. And that confidence was, was, was really the backbone of his ministry. And I think in our passage today we can find out that that's a backbone God wants us to have as well. And our passage today gives us real-life examples of what that looks like. Now, last week, if you remember, when we kind of first uh, found our way into Acts chapter 16, uh, we see that God was sending the gospel through Paul and Silas from Asia over into, for the first time, Europe. And to be specific, it was Greece. And to be more specific, it was Philippi, which was not far from the coast. Now, unlike... His first mission journey uh, that Paul was on, when he uh, got to Philippi, he found out that there was really very little Jewish influence there at all. There was no knowledge of the Bible. There was no knowledge of the Scripture, no knowledge of God's Word. And it was just kind of a blank slate, so to speak. There was So, so where the gospel is going to put in here now is kind of, kind of hard ground where the plow is going to go in. And it wasn't just ignorance of the Scripture that there was where Paul and and Silas were going to put in here in Philippi for their ministry. It wasn't just ignorance. This place was a stronghold, a stronghold of the dominion of the enemy. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I know that because 1 John 5 says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of evil. So God in His mercy was sending the gospel to a new continent. And the enemy was pretty much prepared to meet him right at the water's edge. There was going to be a, a clash of kingdoms and power against power. Now, a lot of people here don't know this. I don't know why you would, but right out of college... Uh, when I graduated in the early 70s, I went to work for Caterpillar Tractor Company um, in Peoria, Illinois. Not the, not a Caterpillar dealer, but the, the world headquarters. Sign there, turn off your cell phones. Uh, but not, not a Caterpillar dealer, but the world headquarters there in Peoria, Illinois. And uh, Cat employed at the time there, I think, about uh, 80,000 people just in that area. So... Um, it was, uh, there, was, there was a lot of employees and things like that. What they would do uh, every summer or so, they would have what they called the Cat Power Parade. And what, they, what, what that meant was is that they rented a local fairground there in Peoria, and they brought pretty much every piece of equipment that Caterpillar had 
I mean, from big stuff all the way down to not so big stuff um, out there. And they would demonstrate what it could do. And my favorite thing that they did every year was they would hitch up the the Illinois State Tractor Pull Champion, you know, with the big tires like that from someplace else. Um, you know, hook up one of those tractors to just a regular old D9 bulldozer that'd come off the, off the assembly line. And this tractor, I mean, there was the Illinois state champ was a, uh, you know, it was souped up, you know, and they'd put them there back to back with chains in between them. And then they'd drop the hammer. And then all of a sudden with the dirt flying and the, and the fire, you know, shooting out of the exhaust pipes of this souped-up tractor, and all the dust and all the stuff you could see, just this little clack, 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 clack. The, 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 the dozer was just pulling it easy. So, uh, so, so then they'd take two tractors. They'd take the, 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 the state champion and the other one, you know, the runner-up, and hook those two up to the dozer. And clack, 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 clack. No sweat. Then they'd do it in mud. And the results were the same. And this was to show not customers, but employees, that cat power was superior. And I think what we're going to see here today in Acts chapter 16 is kind of a kind of a, a gospel power demonstration, a gospel power. I wouldn't call it a parade, but it's a demonstration definitely. And because the gospel if it's going to if it's going to win men to the kingdom of god it has to overcome the strongest adversary and the most likely and people in the most unlikely places with god's saving love the saving gospel has to have absolute power because satan's power rises in all of its strength against god's kingdom and so god wants us to be confident of the power of the gospel to save now, it's interesting to me that at the outset of Jesus' ministry in Capernaum, where his public ministry was first launched, Jesus said this about himself, referring to an Old Testament prophecy. He said, I've come to set captives free, to set captives free. And it's interesting that in our, in our passage, the focus of our passage is a slave girl and a guy that worked in a jail. An evil, deceiving, demon-possessed fortune teller and a blue-collar working stiff, totally unconcerned about anything spiritual, unaware. And his, his life's highest goal, it seems to, from the text, was to be the employee of the month in the Roman prison system. That was it. And yet God, in his power, brings the gospel to these very unlikely sinners. Let's look in Acts chapter 16 and pick up in the verse 16. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, that is Paul and Silas, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out and saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to this spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. 
But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to beat them with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, We are all here. Do not harm yourself. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. Now skip down to verse 35, following day. Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release these men. And then again down to verse 39. And when they came and appealed to them, or excuse me, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. Power. The power of the gospel. I think we're going to see that in at least four areas that I've identified. There's probably more. But the first one is the sheer power that God has to take what belongs to Satan. That slave girl was possessed. That means a possession of an evil spirit. The second thing that we're going to see is the power to use Satan's opposition, the power that God has to use Satan's opposition to save his people. And the power to suffer for Jesus, the power that God gives to suffer in peace and confidence, singing in the prison. And finally, the power of the gospel message to save. And there's there's one other power I just want to mention in passing, and that's the power of initiative. Because of God's compassion, he sent the gospel through Paul and Silas to Philippi. This was a direct call. I think if you look in the New Testament, you won't find any more specific call than God had made for Paul and Silas to go to this place. The reason is because as they had first launched out on their ministry, they wanted to go over to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said no. And then they wanted to go over to the area of Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit said no. Go this way. And then they had the vision of the Macedonian man that was calling, saying, come help us. So God had specifically called them. This is the power of initiative. The Philippians didn't ask for it. God made Philippi a target and the people there. They were unaware, the Philippians, or unconcerned and spiritually dead, oblivious to God's judgment, Oblivious and ignorant of the joy and the blessing for which they were created. Spiritually dead. Just like the average 
happy pagan in central Oregon. This applies here. So God in his mercy sends the good news of the gospel. And you know God's love stirs things up. It stirs things up. The disciples, we're going to see in the, in the very next chapter in Acts 17, are, were described as those who turn the world upside down. You know, when God is stirring people up and events up around us, it's because of His love. When God's stirring things up, thank Him because He's arousing the captives to set them free. Exerting his power to save. So how did God stir things up? Well, normally, I mean, in Paul's first uh, missionary journey, the first thing he would do is go and find the synagogue. And there was a bunch of, you know, and he could preach Christ to Jews and that would stir things up instantly. But there was no synagogue here. So he went to a place of prayer. And the way things got stirred up was by the sheer power of the resurrected Jesus to take away possession of Satan, that slave girl. He dispossessed the girl from the demon. And he also dispossessed the owners from their prophet. God knew that if he hit their pocketbook, that would get their attention. And you know, interestingly, in Acts, God frequently uses the pocketbook to get people's attention and stir things up. You see that in Demetrius the silversmith in Ephesus in Acts 19 and, and Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. It's money. The spirit of divination that this young girl had is called a spirit of divination in the original language. It's the spirit of Python. The spirit of Python was what this girl was possessed of. Now, in Greek mythology, Python was the serpent that guarded the temple at Delphi, where the oracle of Delphi, you may have heard of that, where the oracle of Delphi made predictions about the future and so forth. Well, in Greek mythology, Apollo decided he wanted that temple, and so there was a battle. And so in the battle, the snake was killed, Python was killed, and and everyone after that time that had the powers of divining or fortune-telling were deemed to have the spirit of Python, and this girl was that. This wasn't a carnival sideshow. This was the real deal. Real fortune-telling. Much profit, it said, it brought her owners. She channeled the highest power known to these local people. She was possessed of the forces of darkness, an enemy of God, and yet... God called Paul and Silas all the way across the Aegean Sea not to destroy this enemy, but to save her. But to save her. The text suggests that this was a very young girl and she was exploited in every way, powerless over herself, doubly enslaved to her owners, dehumanized. I think we could think of it like this. It's like sex trafficking was the way that her owners were using her. She was just a commodity. She meant nothing to them. It was all of what she could do. For her, she meant nothing to her owners or to her customers. It's just what she could do, which is tell the future. And God in His mercy and by the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus set her free in just a moment. He ripped her away from Satan. That's power. 
Now, by demonic power, she did speak the truth, both about the men. They said, these are servants of the Most High God. And they are explaining to you or proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So she was telling the truth in both instances. So what's with that? A Puritan writer, uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was one of them, said that Satan uses confusion as well as persecution. And he said this, Satan will say 100 things that are true to set you up for the 101st thing that's not. But the source of it all was a pit of hell. And But some Christians assume, and, and you see this today, and it's very alarming, that if something is real, that it's right. But real is not necessarily right. We have to remember that, always remember, and be aware that there's a difference between the supernatural and the divine. It says, after many days, Paul became annoyed. And it's really, I think, hard to say why it was that he put up with this for so long. But I think, he certainly wasn't confused about the source where this fortune telling was coming from. He wasn't confused about that at all. But I do think that he realized that the moment that that demon was cast out, that all hell would break loose. And it did. It did. But the liberation of this slave girl is the first domino that God pushes over in starting a series of events that lead to the salvation of the jailer and others. So not only did God have power over Satan's possessions, God has power to use Satan's opposition for his saving purposes. Hell may rage, but Jesus rules. Hell may rage, but Jesus rules. If we look at this just just kind of as a cascade of events, beginning with the false charges brought uh, by the owners to the authority and the the severe beatings, there was uh, you know uh, Paul talks about this in Second Corinthians eleven that he received severe beatings um, where where they were beaten with rods and their backs laid open and bruised, their imprisonment, and at midnight with the blood. Uh, beginning to, to 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 just coagulate on the on the stripes and on the bruises on their on their backs that were shredded. And by the way, Paul talks about thirty nine lashes or thirty nine strokes. The the reason is given with thirty nine is because forty was considered a death sentence. So you might say that they were beaten within an inch of their lives. And yet at midnight, they're singing and praying. I wonder, you know, what that the, the Psalms are, are both prayers and songs, right? I wonder, were they reciting and singing Psalm 46? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Is that what they were praying? Is that what they were singing? Were they singing Psalm 100? Shout joyfully to the Lord. All the earth enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Is that what was going on in there? It just says that they were praying and singing. Not normal things for 
beaten prisoners to do. And then comes the earthquake. No ordinary earthquake. This is the next event in this chain of events. And But it wasn't a regular earthquake because all the doors opened. And all the chains didn't just fall off. The, the word says that they were unfastened. Earthquakes don't do that. That's the next domino. That the, everyone's chains were unfastened. And the sleeping jailer, <laughs> I mean, if the, if the jailer didn't wake up until after the, the, the earthquake, you got to wonder what kind of sleeper that guy was. And he saw the doors open. He was ready to kill himself. His world was over. You know, we know this guy was really into his job because when the when the authorities came and said, put these guys in the prison securely, he threw them in the inner prison and he also put them in stocks. Now, stocks aren't the kind of pilgrim, uh, from those days, aren't the kind of pilgrim stocks that you see where they were in the public marketplace with their with their feet here and like this. These things were where you were, your legs were spread-eagled and it hurt just to be in them. So the Roman jailer was was bucking you know, to, to please those that were in authority over him by really putting it on these guys. But now he sees the doors open, assuming everyone's fled and he's ready to kill himself. His work, his world, I should say, was his work. And he was disillusioned and disgraced and ready to fall on his sword. Everything had come to nothing. And his hopes had risen and fallen on what happened inside the four walls of that prison. And that night, they finally fell, never to rise again. And he knew it. It was over for him. He was ready to kill himself. The jailer, to the jailer, all was lost. But God had arranged that the Apostle Paul would be there for just such a time as this. Don't harm yourself. Do not harm yourself. You see, in this cascade of events, we see that God uses even Satan's rage and fury to accomplish his salvation. The guy, I don't know if he still is, but he was the president of Moody Bible Institute, a fellow by the name of Erwin Letzer. And he wrote a book, an interesting, um, interesting book by its title, called God's Devil. God's devil. And he says this, we should never give thanks to God for sin, or for that matter, we should never give thanks to God for Satan, but we can give thanks for the way God uses evil to accomplish his purposes. God knows and controls the end from the beginning. What is to us an unfolding drama that's going to go who knows where is a settled matter to God. And when Paul was thinking about this in Romans, at the end of Romans chapter 11, he's overcome really and his circuit's blown of how God can plan these things, how God can be in all these things with, uh, and, and, and still controlling the events. And he ends up the chapter saying this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So our part is not to understand but to trust Jesus when all hell breaks loose. Because hell really isn't loose at all. It is being directed by God to save his people. Hell may rage, but Jesus rules.
and Paul and Silas were given power by God through the gospel to suffer for Jesus Christ. The jailer heard a compassionate voice of a man that he abused. Songs of praise from a guy that was severely beaten. Thanksgiving from men in physical misery. That night, the jailer became the most woke person on the European continent. The jailer himself was freed from the prison of hopelessness and despair. Now, you can't miss that irony. The jailer rushed and fell down trembling. He saw the love and peace of Paul uh, in, in his suffering. And that's the power of God's grace at work. As we accept with thanksgiving what Jesus allows to pass into our lives, and as we're confident that Jesus is in loving control of the hell that's breaking loose, all the world takes notice. Not just jailers, but all the world takes notice. And they want to know why, how, who is making that difference. That's what the jailer was saying when he rushed in. What must I do to be saved? He said, I want that. I want what you have. Or better yet, I want what has you. I want what has you. It's like Nebuchadnezzar, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the guys that were there, he was going to throw them into the furnace. You remember the story? Because they wouldn't bow down to his statue. And they said, well, you know, we're confident in our God that he's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. And so after they come out of the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar standing there, and here's what he said. He's so impressed. He says, any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubble. Now that's Babylonian king speak for, I want that. I want that. Finally, the power of the gospel to save. The jailer rushed in and he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. This guy probably didn't know who Jesus was. He probably never heard of Jesus. So it says in the verse after that, that Paul spoke the word of the Lord to him about what Jesus had done, about his sinless life, about his substitutionary sacrifice, about his power over death through the resurrection. And so this formerly unconcerned, unaware jailer, who by circumstances became suicidal in a moment, was brought to eternal life through the power of the gospel. God wants us to be absolutely confident in the gospel because when we're confident, we'll be indiscriminate in our sharing of the good news. I think most of us need to know that there really is no one beyond the reach of the gospel, that no one is too far gone, that God is using His tremendous power not to destroy His enemies, but to save them. When we're confident, we'll have peace and confidence in suffering for the gospel. 
because we're assured that God's at work doing something great. 1 Peter 3.14 says, If you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. When we're confident, we'll rest in the knowledge that, as Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. Confident that, that God uses even the enemy's opposition to bring man into relationship with himself. Hell rages, but Jesus rules. And we'll understand that opposition doesn't mean that the door's closed. There's much opposition here. And yet, there were people saved. I want to say just a word about slavery. Everyone is a slave of someone or something. Jesus said, truly, truly, that means now hear this. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. That is, spiritually enslaved to sin. And the problem is, nobody believes that. But the people in this story illustrate that point. I mean, the, the slave girl was obviously a slave. The jailer was a slave to his career and the approval of his superiors. The, the, the slave girl's owners and the authorities in the crowd were slaves to their prophet, to their customs, and to their Roman identity. On the other hand, the apostles Paul, James, and Peter all described themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. And even as a perfect man, Jesus himself took the form of a bond slave. So there really is no neutral ground. All of us came into this room as a slave to someone or something. And all of us will leave the same way. Surprisingly, though, Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. That's a paradox that we find freedom in slavery to Jesus Christ, freedom from the tyranny of sin, freedom from condemnation and guilt or shame, free to love the only one who is truly worthy of our love and free to be loved and cared for, not just by anybody, but by love incarnate. So choice is yours today. Slavery to sin, which leads to death and judgment, or slavery to Christ, which is the greatest freedom you've ever known. And I pray that you're not like the authorities. Remember that last verse we read? I mean, when they came up, I mean, obviously the word of what had happened to that slave girl passed quickly. And there was definitely a change in that jailer. And yet in the face of all of that, all they wanted was just go away, just go away. And I pray that you're not like that today. That you, you, that you just didn't want this moment to go away. That you don't want to turn away. Why remain a slave to sin when Jesus died to free you? Andrew Peterson wrote a song not long ago that describes the scene in Revelation 5. I want you to listen to the words. 
speaking of Jesus, has said he's the line of Judah who conquered the grave. He's the lamb that was slain to ransom the slave. Don't turn away. Don't just wish for this moment to go away. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now in that same heavenly scene in Revelation 5, they sang a new song to Jesus saying, You are worthy for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Jesus calls us to remember and to celebrate his sacrifice for our ransom. Let everyone, let everyone who is freed from slavery to sin through Jesus Christ and made free, come and eat. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your overwhelming power. We thank you for the power of the gospel, Lord. We pray that... Um, that, Lord, that uh, those of us who know you, Lord, would be made more confident as we read this, Lord, that we would be encouraged in our hearts to know, Lord, that that your gospel and your power, Lord, is unstoppable. So, Lord, help us to live that way. And, Father, for those that might be in here that are still slaves to their sin, they haven't accepted the ransom payment that Jesus has made, that you would cause them, Lord, to accept that free gift today and find freedom and find love and meeting an eternal life in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.